All right, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to pray, Lord, just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together. Lord, help us to see what you would want us to see from this section. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Solomon is giving some good wisdom, but he's still twinged with this negativity at this point. And remember, at the end of this book, which we're almost to the end of this book, He's going to say in Ecclesiastes 12, 3, uh, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the matter, uh, the whole matter, or man, is to love God and to keep his commandments all the days of, your, of our life. So we want to be able to remember the goal is to be obedient to God. Now, be, obedience to God does not get us into heaven, does not get us even in a good standing with God. It just is how we show that we are in good standing with him because we accept him as our Lord and Savior and he changes who we are and we will behave. So we want to look at this, um, this chapter. It's only 10 verses. First one, cast your bread upon the waters for, they shall in, for you shall find it in, after many days. Give a portion of seven and also to eight for, your, for you know not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth, and if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall be. He that observes the wind shall not sow, and he that regards the clouds shall not reap. As you know not what the way of the spirit, nor how the womb do grow, how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so you know not the works of God that who makes all. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand from the, for you know not whether you shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Truly the light is sweet, and a pleasant thing is it for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man may live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many all that comes is vanity rejoice O young men in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes for you know not that for all these things God will bring you into judgment therefore removing sorrow from your heart and put away evil from the flesh for childhood and youth are vanity so here we are with some interesting things that uh, Solomon is telling the people, in verse 1, he's saying, cast your seed out. He's saying, be generous. All right? It's kind of a, a Jewish euphemism there. He's saying, be generous. Cast out your generosity, and it will come back to you. Now, part of what we look at here is what Solomon is saying is really good advice. He's saying it for the wrong reasons. He's still a little bit on the depressed side. He's saying, be generous so that you be get, get it back. And, you know, it is true that when we reap good, we get back good. But if our, if our goal is to do good, to get good back, God delays that return probably till heaven at, at best. You know, and I've seen people that go, well, the Bible says that you're going to be, if you're kind to people, they'll be kind to you. So I'm going to be kind to everybody and try to manipulate them into doing what I want. And I'm going, that's not how it works. <laughs> All right. God says, be kind to everyone and many times that kindness doesn't come back from that same person 
Now, God will give us rewards. He will give us blessings. But our goal is not to manipulate people into trying to do things. As a matter of fact, Proverbs tells us to give to those who cannot give us back. And Jesus said the same thing. Do to those who cannot give you back. And God will bring back to you from some other place. And, you know, Jesus said, who... What reward have you if you invite the person who's going to invite you back to their house? You know, uh, I'm going to invite you over to my house for dinner because I know, I know these are going to be the type of person who will invite me back to your, your house. And we might not say it, but we're thinking that a lot of times. And Jesus says, go out and invite the person who can't, that cannot bring, invite you back, that you know that's not going to bring you back. That is where our true love, our true giving is, is from. And this is what he's saying. Cast out your bread. And the idea for the Jewish people is they sowed, their, sowed the seeds on the water, you know, the watered ground, and it would grow, and, and they'd get back a harvest, and they'd use that also for being generous. Be generous. And as we as Christians are told to love one another, to exhort one another, to build each other up, you know, to be kind. One of the things that has always touched the world in all of church history is the way Christians minister to other people the people that can't even give them back anything do you realize that before christianity took hold there weren't orphanages there weren't good hospitals you had a doctor that might come around and and help you if you had enough money but if you got sick and had to go to a hospital forget it because you know their their attitude literally was just as it's becoming today they were too sick to make it they don't deserve to live you know, these kids don't have parents. If they're not strong enough to live, then we don't want them to live. There were no orphanages. If you didn't have parent, you know, family that would take them in, they would, live, they would live on the street. This happens today in our world all over the world. Wherever Christianity does not rule sway, life is cheap. And we're seeing it returning. You, know, you hear the term post-Christian uh, uh, post, uh, world. You know, and I tell people all the time, it's really not a post-Christian world. We're going back to a pre-Christian world. We're going back to the way things were before Jesus and Christianity changed people's hearts. And this is our job as Christians, to love people, to do good to people who cannot give us anything back because we want to show them the love of God. Because isn't that what God did for us? We owed him a debt we couldn't pay. And that we can never pay. Our sin debt is something we cannot pay to God. And he died for our sins, paying our debt that we couldn't pay. And then we worship him. Our job as Christians is to show a world that owes debts to God and, and the world they can't pay and let them see the love of God. It is unfortunate that so many people don't understand the love of God. When you're nice to people who cannot do anything, they look at you like, like you're crazy and they wonder what it is that you're trying to get from them. What is your ulterior motive? What are, why are you being nice to me? What are you trying to get? Well, I guess on one side we are trying to get something. We're trying to get them to turn to God. But that's really not for me. It's for them. Even that is for them. You know, to get them to turn to Christ. And spend eternity with God. You know, we're nice to them so they can spend eternity with God. 
know, and why? Because somebody was nice to us sometime in our life and got us to look at God in that way. And this is important. Be generous. And then he says, take your portions, give your portion to seven and also to eight, for you know not when evil shall be upon the earth. And he's saying, spread out your generosity. Spread out your generosity. And Micah 5, Micah says the same term. Give to seven and then to an eighth one. Uh, in other words, it's an a idea of just be generous to lots of people. All right? He's saying don't be generous just to one person. And, and again, he's being very on the negative side because you don't know when you may need <laughs> the blessing. And, you know, it is a true thing, uh, and it's been said over and over, and I agree with it. You can't outgive God. Right? If you want to just give for God's sake, God will make sure that you're taken care of as his child. And I've read the books. I've seen the testimonies. There have been people that have been very rich who give away 90% of their money and lived on 10%. And I've heard several pastors say that they do that same thing. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I still have a few too many bills. I don't have that much faith yet. But, you know, how much do we give to God? You know, one of the people that I've listened to, and he gave a very interesting statement. He was asked, how much should I give to God? Seems how... You know, they didn't want to believe in the tithe. And he said, you should give to the place where it hurts and it, you have to trust God. That was quite an interesting statement. If all I do is give God my leftovers, I'm really not giving him anything, am I? Well, God, I, wasn't, I didn't need this anyway. I was just going to go to the bank so you can have it. But if I take and I give God something that says, God, I've got a bill that doesn't need to be, not going to get paid. If I give this to you, I'm, I'm dependent upon you. Now I'm in the sacrificial range. Now I'm not saying go on and give your whole check to God and, and say, God, how are you going to bless me? But if he tells you to do it, do it. Make sure he tells you that one because I don't want to presume upon God. But, but you know, too many of us say, God, if I have any money left over, I'll give it to you. Now, I'm a firm believer that God starts at the tithe. All right? I, I am a firm believer that he expects 10%. And beyond that is when your sacrificial offerings start happening. God, I'm going to give you more than the 10%. Which is why we, we even at the church, we at the church tithe from the M money you give to different ministries. And we are at 15, 15 or 17%. 15 or 17, 15%, I think it is, that we give from the church out to other missions. Why do we do that? Well, basically, because I can't ask people to tithe if the church isn't tithing, <laughs> is my attitude on it. If the church doesn't tithe, we can't ask other people to tithe because we want to set that example. So we want to be able to help others. Help others and keep it out there. And again, God will bless us. When we're helping others, he will bless us. He will give to us. He will provide. One of the great things is when we, offering, when we give our offerings to God, as you can see, I've never gone hungry. <laughs> I, you know, I've always had a roof over my head. The, the utilities have been on. You know, God has always had those blessings there. You know, so give, honor, and help others. Then he says, if the clouds are full of rain, they will empty themselves upon the earth. If a tree falls to the north or the south, it will stay where it fell. In other words, he's following up on this, that bad things will come. When the cloud is full, <laughs> it's going to rain on our life. 
And this is one of those things that is so critical for us to understand. What is our attitude toward trials when they come? You know, do we stand around moaning and groaning because of all the trials that we're experiencing? Or do we look to God and say, God, thank you, as the disciples said, thank you that I've been found worthy of suffering. You know, and we may even start with, God, why is this happening? And there's a valid question on that. Why is this happening? And then we look at our life. Am I living in sin so God is punishing me because God will discipline his children? That's our first question. If we are, then we confess our sins. We, we go to God and say, God, I'm, I've, I'm sorry I'm sinning. I repent. I'm turning away from that sin. Help me endure this consequences for what I've done. Is God trying to teach us something? Most of the time, it's out there just to teach us. What is he trying to teach us? Usually to trust in him. Just trust in him. And it might be that somebody is, while you're trusting him, somebody's watching you and saying, is this person trustworthy for God? Are they truly serving God in the hard times? It's pretty easy to serve God when everything's going good. You know, no bill collectors at your door, no, no bills being paid late, you've got a good job, you've got good vehicles, your health is all in place. It's pretty easy to serve God. When does it get a little difficult? When the trials come your way. When you're, when you're suffering just a little bit and you say, wow, God, you know, you get to be a Job for a little while. Now, hopefully none of us have experienced what Job went through. He lost everything. Everything. And if you remember the beginning of the story, why did he lose everything? Because God said, hey, Satan, have you thought about Job? <laughs> you know, and Satan said, yeah, I think a lot about him, but you've got him so protected I can't do anything. And God let Satan touch Job's life and take away all of his possessions, all of his family, all of his health, and then gave him some really good friends to really give him encouragement about how bad he must have been to deserve all of this. Now, I think that was a fourth trial that he went through myself. I think that uh, Satan got permission to really give him some really good, good helpful friends, giving him good exhortation there. You know, hopefully, I don't think any of us have had to go through that bad of trials. But all of us have gone through hard times. All of us have looked and had to suffer in some as, as, as aspect of our life. That's when we turn to God and say, God, I trust you. I will believe that you are good. You know, I love the statement that all the time God is good, you know, and, good is, and God is good all the time. You know, he is good, and he has good plans for us. We may not think his plans are good when we're going through them, but usually given enough time and space, we look back and say, I learned a lot, or that was very good. Or when we get to heaven, we'll say, oh, that's why you had me go through. That person was watching me, and they came to Christ because of what I went through. Or I was a part of them coming to Christ. We don't know the plan of God until we get outside of time and see what God's plan was, and then we will understand that God's plan was good. Now, if we're suffering because of our sin and getting con consequences, then God is still going to turn that to good somehow. 
But it wasn't really what he wanted for us because we, he had to punish us for sins. You know, I remember, and you guys probably all have heard this or maybe even said it to your kids because I said it to my kids, when it was time to give them a spanking, this hurts me more than it hurts you. You know, I, you know and I remember my dad saying that I never believed it. You know, it's like, no, I'm the one that has the uh, sore backside that has to be sat on. But when I had to give my fir first child a spanking, knowing that it was going to hurt them, I understood that statement. And if you can spank your child without it hurting you, you, don't need, you shouldn't be spanking your child because you've got the wrong attitude toward it. But, you know, it was really an interesting thing. When God disciplines us, he's doing it for our good even when we don't understand it and there's pain in even when he has to do it even though he knows it's for our good there's a pain in this and here we see Solomon saying when the clouds get heavy they're going to fall and we need to get to this point in our world in the western world we have a great gospel coming out of the church is saying prosperity if you're a Christian you're supposed to be rich happy and, and healthy I don't know what Bible they're reading. <laughs> I don't even know if they're reading a Bible, a period. But that's not what my Bible tells me. My Bible tells me that God's going to give me blessings. That he is going to keep me. That he has a good plan. And there's been times when I've had money, I've had health, I've had all kinds of blessings. And there's been times when everything seems to be going wrong. And God's saying, are you still going to trust are you still going to rest in me? And those are why I love God is in charge. I love that he is in charge. Satan had to ask God permission to go after Job. And I don't believe that's a singular event. I believe that he has to go ask God to touch any of God's creation. Not just Christians. Any of God's creation. Now, God gives him a lot of leeway with the lost. And he gives him some leeway with us. But he's going to allow him to make our life miserable at times so that we can prove that we trust God. And it's not for God to learn whether we trust him. He knows what we're going to do. The whole purpose is so that we learn. Because how many times do we lie to ourselves? I would never do such and such. And what do we do? We find ourselves doing whatever it is we say we would never do. You know, and when we say it, we mean it. You know, I would never make that sin. I would never do that. I would, you know, I would never not go to church. That was my big thing when I was young. I, there's not a time that I'd ever not go to church as I got so busy in the workplace that I stopped going to church. You know, it is easy to fall. And, be, and God is trying to prove to us we need him and he also wants us to not lie to ourselves we are sinners anything out there we could fall for without God's protection and his grace how do we stay in his protection and his grace we stay in his word we stay in prayer we stay in fellowship with him and the body of Christ and we will grow have you ever noticed how you when you're in Fellowship with God real close that the trials don't seem that big a deal. You know, that's how I feel anyway. There's gone some things that seem pretty heavy, and when I'm focused on God, I go through it, and I kind of look back and say, 
wow, a lot's happened in the last, you know, six months, year, two years, whatever it might be. You know, but when you're not focused on God, the littlest little breeze or trouble comes along and knocks you silly because our heart wants to sin. If we're not in fellowship with God, we're not feeding the, the spirit. The flesh wants to sin. And we need to be careful of this because God says fellowship. Stay in fellowship with him. Verse 5 says, And you know not what the way of the spirit is, how the bones do grow in the womb, and, and how the her with the child, even, even so you know not the works of God who made us all. For in the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand from, for you know not whether you shall prosper, whether this or that, and whether both shall be alike. He says, we don't understand God's ways. Isaiah says, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know, and this is the way God is. How do we know what God's doing? We don't. You know, uh, for everybody who loves their animals, their dogs or cats, you know, does your cat or your dog really know what you're doing with them half the time? You're playing with them. You're, in, you know, giving them exercise. Maybe you're taking them to the vet. You know, uh, and you know, maybe they're going to get caused pain because they need that pain to hurt to help them. You know, they need that shot. They need that upper. You know, the little cyst removed or whatever. And you're going to give them pain so that you can help them in the long run. Do you realize God does that with us? And we don't understand it half the time? You need this pain so that you will not suffer more later on. We have a hard time with that, though, don't we? God, I don't like pain. I hope none of us like pain. <laughs> you know, but God says... I've, I've got it. I know what I'm doing. You know, how much will we trust God? How much will we serve him? And for those of us who are getting older, it gets a little harder to serve God with each passing day. A little more aches and pains, a little more forgetfulness. I hate the fact that I keep forgetting the things that I used to know, even about the Bible. You know, I know there's stuff in there someplace, but you know, I get to try to pull it out and it's not there anymore the way it used to be. There's a new pain or a new ache every, every year that we go along. The question is, are we going to stay with God and serve God, or are we going to quit? And I know that it gets more difficult each year. Even for me, and I'm still young. You know, even for Loretta, our oldest member. You know, it's <laughs> you know. But you know, are we going to stay focused on God? Are we still going to go forward with him? While we are alive, God has something for us to do. Because if he didn't have something for us to do, he'd take us home. Now that may just be being faithful to God. Showing up every Sunday morning and letting people see that faithfulness. It could be just saying a kind word to somebody that you come across. Being kind, being nice to people. Who knows what it is, but be faithful to what God has asked you to do. In verse 7, he says, Truly the light is sweet and pleasant, and a pleasant thing for the eyes to behold. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the, the days of darkness, for they shall be many, for all that comes is vanity. He says, even if you have a lot of good days... <laughs> 
there's evil to come. Now, we, we understand Solomon is a very depressed man, even at this point in this book. Everything he looks at is saying, it's all worthless. And without God, it is a worthless life. I would not want to try to live without God. When I talk to the lost world and I listen to what they say about things, I am just shocked half the time. There is nothing good, nothing right. They just, you know, everything is going to be wrong. You know, where is our attention? What is our attitude? Hopefully our focus is heaven. Remember Paul's attitude? was all these things are insignificant compared to heaven. And what did he call all those insignificant things we talked about so many times? Shipwrecks, beatings, prisons, uh, being chased out of town, uh, you know, all these things that happened to Paul. And he said, they're all, they're all nothing. They're all nothing compared to heaven. In the book of Acts, when the disciples were being beat, they came out of their beatings and they said, thank God. God, we have been found worthy of suffering for Christ. What is our attitude toward, toward suffering? Unfortunately for so many of it is, woe is me, it's terrible, miserable world. We take the world's way of looking at things. But you know, if we really turn around and we say, God, thank you that you found me worthy. Why did you go through it in the first place? God was talking with Satan. Did you think about, have you considered... Have you considered my servant down there? We have been found worthy of God to suffer. We do not want to buy into the lie of the, of the worldly churches that we all need to be doing nothing but good and feasting and having a good time. Jesus said they hated me. They will hate you. Jesus was hated so much they put him on a cross. Because they couldn't stand being around him. They put him on a cross. We in America are very fortunate. We don't, we don't have to go to crosses. We don't go to prison for our beliefs yet. But do you realize around the world, millions of Christians are being killed every year because they're Christians? Not for any other reason but because they are a Christian. It's not too far away for the United States to be coming, making that, making that bend. We're seeing our rights being disappeared more and more each, uh, each year. There will come a time when we will have to suffer. Probably in even our lifetime, as old as we are, probably even in our lifetime, most most assuredly by our great-grandchildren our grandchildren's time they will definitely suffer unless God has a great revival in this country that's why we're praying for revival we're praying for God to work because that's our only hope is for him to give revival and bring people back to Christ but you know Satan does not just sit back when we pray and ask God to move he doesn't he does not say well I've lost that battle I'm leaving he sends in all kinds of forces from hell to attack. We need to prepare. We're praying for a revival. Satan is not going to want a revival in this town. He does not want a revival in this county. He does not want a revival in this state. He does not want any revival anywhere in this world. 
We're playing, praying for revival. He's going to move against it. We need to be ready. We need to be ready to watch God's moving hand and the enemy's moving hand as well. Because he does not just sit back. Then it says, Rejoice, O young, young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth, and walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your own eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Judgment is coming. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. There, every single person who has ever walked on this world will face a judgment. For those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will go to the Bema Seat of Christ where our works will be judged for rewards. Our judgment is not a heaven or hell judgment. He's just saying, here's your good works, here's your rewards, welcome. I am looking forward to hearing those words, welcome. I even more want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, with a good finish. Those who don't know Christ will stand at the white throne judgment, where they will be judged guilty and sent to hell. Where God will look at them and say, here are all the opportunities you had to turn to me. Nobody will be guilty will be judged guilty without knowing that they are guilty. And at the white throne judgment, every knee will bow to God. Every knee. Those of us who are Christians will bow generally, you know, quickly and, and thankfully. The angels may make a lot of the others bow. Satan himself will bow at the white throne judgment and call him Lord as they're led off to to hell for eternity. Our decision to follow Christ or not follow Christ is the one and only important decision that we have in this world because it is everlasting. Every other decision, it may seem very important on the temporal realm, but when we're dead, we won't care about any other decision, but what did we do with Christ? And who do we stand before? Jesus Christ at the Bema seat or God the Father at the judgment seat to be sent to hell. This is the important thing. Jesus came and died for all the sins of the world. The one and only decision that is most important is what are you going to do with him? If you don't know Jesus, and this is mostly for our internet audience, but if you didn't know Jesus, we need to confess our sins and say, God, I'm a sinner. Please come into my life. I repent of my sins. Forgive me. Be my Lord. Simple. It's not just the words, though. You have to mean the words, and God will come in. And when he comes in, he changes us. He makes us a new creation. He gives us a heart that wants to follow him. You know, if we have a sin that we just can't get rid of, we need to turn it over to God and say, God, I need your help. Crucify this sin. I can't get victory over it. And it doesn't matter what that sin is. And there are a bunch of sins out there that have people captive. All the way from drugs and alcohol to pornography to just being addicted to sex and, and um, thievery and lying. 
Maybe it's even the one that most people don't think of, the, the sin of gossip. What is our sin? We each have sins that we have a hard time getting rid of. We need to go before God and say, God, I need your help. I can't get victory on this because I have an evil heart. Change that heart. And this is what Solomon is trying to say here. We have judgment to come. And there's going to be bad times coming. Or I'm going to say hard times. I don't really don't like the idea of bad times. If you have the wrong attitude, they're bad times. But you can have a pretty good life. Have you ever talked to somebody and they're telling you about how bad their life is and you're thinking, it doesn't sound that bad to me. <laughs> now, it is bad to them, I understand. But, you know, where is our focus? If my focus is on God, and I know that God has a plan, and I know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God, I can look at anything I go through and say, God, I may not understand your purpose. I may not understand how you're going to make this for good. But I trust you, and I'm going to serve you through all this pain and agony that's going on. Very important for us to trust him, to lift him up and follow him. And remember, there's always a, a dawn coming. If God gave you nothing but pure hell on earth, and you're a Christian, you have a great dawn coming. When you get to heaven, you're going to see all of why it was there, all of what it was worth. If you think you're going through pure hell on this world and you're not a Christian, just wait till you leave this world and you're going to think you were in heaven. Because it has been said, and I agree, for a Christian, this is as close to hell as we're ever going to get, and this is nothing like hell. But this is as close to hell as we'll ever see. The sad thing is, for the lost person... This is as close to heaven as they're going to get, and this makes a miserable heaven. This is as much good as they're going to have for all of eternity. And for us as a Christian, this is, as much, this is the worst bad we're going to have for all of eternity. Can we just keep our minds focused? I can tell you, you know, a trillion years from now, when you're in heaven, you're not even going to think about this world and all the problems and activities that happened in this world, good or bad. You know, You'll, you'll see the people that are your rewards for your witnessing and, and are up there in heaven because of you, and you'll just rejoice. And you won't be thinking about anything else but that you're seeing the face of the Father. I just so much am looking forward to the day when I stand in heaven and worship God. And I've had people go, well, I just can't imagine worshiping God for eternity. Yeah, I love to worship God. Maybe not for the all of eternity, but you know what? I love that so much. Uh, time will be irrelevant up there. When you worship here, have you ever gotten so much into worship that you just seem to be transported into heaven for just even seconds? And you just say, God, is this what it's going to be like? I've had a few times when I've gotten so much into worship that I'm going, just for, just for a little bit of time, God, is this just a taste of what heaven's going to be like? I hope you've experienced that much of a relationship with God in his word and just so get caught up in the word of God talking with you and saying, God, is this what it's going to be like? Is this a taste of heaven? 
getting so much into prayer that you look up and realize that you've spent an hour in prayer with God and never even realized it because you were so in tune with God and it entered into his presence. These are small tastes that we can have. And you know what? When I say a taste, I mean a taste. It isn't even the beginning of what heaven's going to be like. And God just gives us these little glimpses. This is what it means to worship. This is what it means to spend time with me in the word. This is what it means to spend time with me in prayer. And we enter into the presence of God, which is timeless. And we lose ourselves in the timelessness of God. And then we have to return back to this world and time. And we just have that little savor. I hope that you're looking forward to spending eternity with God. I hope, though, that that motivates you to tell others about Christ. Because God wants the world to be with him. It says that his desire is that none will go to hell. Now, if they want to choose hell, they're going to go to hell. People go, well, how can God send people to hell? He doesn't. He just gives them what they wanted. They rejected him in life. They, he says, fine, you don't want me? You're, you don't have me for all of eternity. We need to be able to bring people to Christ and watch them and help them grow. Our job isn't just to bring them to Christ. Our job is to help them grow. Teach them how to get in God's word. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to share the gospel with others. Our job only begins when they get saved. Our job doesn't end when they get saved. We get to teach and train and help them learn how to do it. We want to think about this. How many of us had to learn to pray? Now, I don't need to see hands because I know if you really, really think about it, somebody actually had to sit down with you some point in your life and teach you to pray. Because it doesn't come natural. We tell all you got to do is talk to God, and people are always trying to figure out, how do I talk to God? You know, and they'll try all the long, flowery speeches and all that other stuff before God. Oh, God, mighty Father of, of heaven above, you know, we beseech you. And you know, No, we talk to him. And we just need to learn to talk to him. How do we learn to study the Bible? We need to be taught how to truly study God's word. Each step of the way, we train people how to do things. How do we witness we go out and we show people how to witness. We teach them how to witness. You know, God knows that we need to learn. And that's why he gave us each other. And I've said this over and over again. If you want to learn how to pray, look around the church and find somebody who knows how to pray and, and meet with them once in a while and just pray with them. Get them to teach you how to pray. You want to learn something about the spiritual walk, find somebody who's, that you think is good at it and Ask them to just meet with them once, in a, once a month, twice a month, once a week, however, however, however your schedules work, and say, I want to learn that. I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to serve God better. I want to learn how to worship better, how to pray better, how to study better. That is what the purpose of the body is, to help one another, to grow one another. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come and worship you. 
God, we ask you to help each one of us. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this message today and in the future on the Internet that, you, that doesn't know you, Lord, that today they will turn their lives and heart over to you. They will confess that they're a sinner, repent of their sin, and ask you to be their Lord. And we just thank you. Lord, for each of us as believers, we ask that you help and guide us into a stronger life with you, more dedicated, more trusting in you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.